Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And if you have it, uh, if you could just please stand for the reading and reverence of uh, God's word. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Uh, and I will read it for us. Bear one another's burdens. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you uh, for today. We thank you for all that you have done. I pray that for this word, uh, it may be simple, um, it may be uh, more on the practical side, but Lord, I pray that you would speak to us personally. I pray that it would be able to hit us exactly where we need to be hit. And Lord, I pray that you would be able to speak um, just words of encouragement, affirmation, but also of challenge to us during this time. And so we thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Today's sermon title is called uh, Gentle Relationships. Um, there was a survey done recently, and the survey title was called Red Flags You Should Look Out For on a First Date. Uh, now, there was, it was done by a bunch of magazines, right? It was done by GQ, by Cosmopolitan, by Esquire, and strangely by Business Insider also. I'm not sure why. But they all asked that same question because they're all going to a certain idea, which was what will cause you to lose interest in a date, right? Let me give you a few of these, uh, a, few of the, a few of the survey answers, right? Number one, uh, they are very late. They come late to the date, right? I, this one spoke to me. Not, per, not personally, I don't, I'm a pastor, I don't date, I'm just kidding. Uh, but that, um, you know, being late is very important. Uh, being early is important. Being punctual is important, right? Another, um, and this one also spoke to me, <laughs> is that uh, they text during the date. They're texting someone during the date, right? Oh, that, doesn't that just like burn you up a little bit? But the one that uh, tops almost every survey that I looked at um, was how they treat the waiter and the staff. That the biggest red flag for almost all of these surveys is if they treat the waiter and the serving staff there badly, then that's a reflection on their character, you see? How, if the food is late, how do they react? If the waiter messes up, what do they say? And I think the reason why this one always tops almost every survey is because people innately understand this one thing, that the way that you treat others isn't a reflection on them, it's a reflection on you. Last week, you see, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit that those are internal changes in your life after you become saved. And right after this, Paul, it seems like, goes on a random tangent into relationships. 
And it may seem strange, but what I believe Paul is trying to do is connect this very concept here. Paul is saying that the best way for you to gauge your growth as a Christian is through relationships. And that is the best way because how you confront others, how you talk to others, how you speak to the other person is not a reflection of what's going on inside of them. It's a reflection of what's going inside of you. It doesn't matter what the other person does, you see, church. It doesn't matter how late they are. It doesn't matter how they behave. Your words, your behavior are the reflection of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. This church is a major theme in the Bible. This type of what will, this type of reaction, this type of um, what happens after the fact. And what I mean by that is good and bad things will happen in everyone's life. The Bible says that those who are faithful will experience suffering and those who are unfaithful will experience suffering as well. It doesn't matter what your level of faith is. It doesn't matter how good you have been. It doesn't matter any of these different things. Everyone will experience hardship in your life. But you see, what's important is how you respond to them. That's why in verse 4, Paul says, this is how you test your own work. Because God, he is testing us when he gives us good and bad. In Proverbs 10, 25, it says, When the storms sweep by, the righteous will stand firm, but the wicked will be swept away. The storms come, and the righteous will get in the face of it. Storms come, and the wicked will get in the face of it. Storms will come for everyone, but the test is not in the storms. The test is not necessarily whether a storm will come. The test is how you react to that storm. And the main way that God tests our faith and tests the fruit of the Spirit is going to be through our relationships. The way that we talk with others and the way that we act with others is going to reflect the conditions of our heart. And this is why Paul in verse 1 says something very important. He says, look, you have to act in the spirit of gentleness. Gentleness is confronting others with the understanding of your own weakness. Gentleness is understanding that you are not perfect, that you are not coming from a place higher than them, but that you have full understanding of your own sin, of your own weakness, and you are going there to simply restore them as well. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, he says, look, it's not about aggravating his grief. It's not about scolding him. It's not about condemning him. What this means, this gentleness means, is lifting him up and gently restoring his faith. This is what gentleness of the Spirit means. And so church, all I want to do today is look at what Paul says about relationships. And I'd like to look at just three things that Paul says. First, when do we confront others with gentleness? Secondly, who do we confront with gentleness? And third, how do we confront others 
with gentleness. Okay, that's it. First, when do we confront others? In verse 1, it says, if anyone is caught in any sin. Now, this can be a bit confusing because when we look at this, at the very beginning, we can think it means every time someone sins. If you're caught in sin, it means every time you sin, it means every time you just are able to see someone doing something wrong. And the answer is no, that's wrong. That's not what it means that to be caught in any sin. Because we know that in the Bible, especially in the book of Proverbs, it says that love covers a multitude of sin. We know that in 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love always gives the benefit of the doubt. It also says that love is not critical. See, church, what I believe to be caught in sin means that it is a sin that is constantly repeated. This is an idea that Paul is talking about here in the Greek of someone who has fallen into sin and is trapped there. It's not a one-time mistake and never again. It's a, he has fallen into that sin and he is not getting out of it. He is trapped there. They are trapped in a place, and Paul, the reason he's stressing that we need to confront them when they're caught in sin is because for them, in that situation, it may be impossible for them to come out of it on their own. They need our hope. You see, repeated sin. Secondly, to be caught in sin means that they do not see it on their own. Here's the thing. If someone is in habitual sin, does that mean that you should always confront them? I would argue no. Because if someone is in habitual sin and yet they know that they're in that sin and they are praying about it and they are working towards it and they are doing their best to take the steps forward, then I don't believe that they're really caught. If you know, you see, if you know what your greatest sin is, then that may not be your greatest sin. Because your greatest sin is probably the one that you do not really know about. It could be the sin that you are in most denial of. And that is a sin that has caught you. And that is keeping you. And those are the sins that you need other brothers and sisters to be able to see in your life and confront and speak to you with gentleness. Now, that's when you confront. Who do you confront? It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Paul here is speaking to other brothers and sisters within the church. And for me, I noticed something pretty important um, as I have been doing ministry within the church context now for a few years. Uh, and it's that the way that I speak to Christians is going to be different than the way that I speak to non-Christians. And the difference is that for me, when it comes to a non-Christian, I will almost never confront them about their sinful behavior. Now, the question is why not? Because what I've come to realize is that the need for a non-Christian is not trying to fix their behaviors or trying to conform to any rules. 
the need for a non-Christian is simple. It's Jesus. That they need to know who Jesus is. They need to know how good Jesus is, is in their lives. And from there, the next steps are trying to fix those habits or trying to follow the fruit of the Spirit or trying to go away from the works of the flesh. Do you see that? Do you see how there's a progression there? If you don't understand the very basis of Christianity, then what's the point of trying to fix the sinful behavior? All you're doing is working on the symptoms without going into the main problem. I think you can look at the example of how Paul wrote Galatians. He didn't start with the fruit of the Spirit. He didn't start with the work of the flesh. He didn't start with relationships and all of these other parts. He started with the very foundation of what the true gospel is. He started with that very first thing, which is, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Is he the one and only thing that you base your salvation upon? If the answer is yes, then here. Do you see how he does that? Christianity is not about following a set of rules or trying to stop your bad habits. What Christianity is, is focusing your life upon Jesus Christ. Before we were Christians, we were focused our lives upon something completely different. That could be on your family, that could be on your career, that can be on a multitude of other things. And yet when you become a Christian, what happens is that you become a new creation. You are born again. Why does the Bible use such extreme language in that way? It's because the very center of you turns to something else, you see. And it's why here in this passage, Paul, when he says, look, when you're confronting someone about their sinful behavior, when you're talking to someone about what they're going through, about these different types of rules and everything like that, look, keep it within the context of believers. Keep it within the context of brothers and sisters. And here also, Paul says that the ones who should be confronting are those that are spiritual. Now, I know that when some of you hear that, you go, oh, phew, okay, that's not me. I'm good. That's like more on like Pastor Danny or like on the staff or on like the life group leaders. I, I'm not spiritual. I'm just like kind of, you know, spirit. <laughs> I'm, I'm just one of those, right? But here's the wake-up call for you guys because Paul is not talking about those who are A-plus Christians. He's not talking about those who are level two at all or anything like that. He's saying that if you are spiritual, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we know that those who have the Holy Spirit are those who are saved from day one. You who are spiritual are you who are Christians. You who are called to confront one another are you who are Christians. You who are called to be full of the fruit of the Spirit, to be gentle in how you talk and the way you act and the way that you love and the way that you give and all those different types of things are you who are saved from day one. We are called to care for one another, you and I, because we are Christians. Now, lastly, how should we confront others with gentleness? It says here, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That word, church, restore, 
in the English, it actually doesn't really do that word justice. Because in the Greek, what it actually means is to put a, a dislocated bone back in its place. That's the type of restoring that Paul is talking about here. And Paul, when he says that word, he could have used any other word here, but he says restore. Restore for a very specific reason. Because it's not about taking something bad out here. He's not talking about placing something completely foreign out of the body. He's saying, look, you're placing something that was originally good and you're just putting it back in its right place. And that's the thing that we have to understand. That for us, we think of sin as some type of bullet that enters our body. We think of sin as some type of uh, splinter that comes into us that shouldn't be there in the first place. But what Paul is trying to say is that sin is not necessarily these bad things that have entered our body. There are good things that we have placed best. There are bones within our body that should be there, that are meant to be there, and yet what has happened is that they have become dislocated and they're not in the right place that it should be. Do you see, church, that bones are meant to be there for a purpose? They're there to keep you and to frame you, and they're important for you, and yet the minute you dislocate it, it gives you immense and terrible pain. It is one of the worst pains that you could experience. And this is what sin does in our lives as well. These are good things. These are things that we should have. And yet what happens is that they have become dislocated and they start to bring us immense pain. You see, family, family is a good thing. We are celebrating family month. We want to have family. Children are always talked about as blessings within the Bible. And yet what happens is that family can become such a huge priority in your life that it becomes dislocated. Our careers are good things. They are important for us. We should be ambitious. We should want to grow in them. And yet what happens is that it becomes dislocated. And it takes precedent over God. It takes priority over the church. And it takes power over everything else in our lives. And church, what I want to say also is that those things like power, those things like comfort, those things like approval, we can think that those things are automatically bad, but I'd say that they're not bad. Those things are good. I want you to be ambitious. God, I think, wants you. God, yes, he does want you to be ambitious. He does want you to strive for more. He wants you to do these things. And I would say that approval is a good thing as well. And I'd argue that the closer you get to someone, the closer you get to the people in your life, the more that you'd want to have approval from them. It's inevitable that those things are linked. But the problem comes in. And the problem that Paul is talking about here is that when approval, when comfort, when power, when all of those things become dislocated from his rightful place, then, then it becomes a sin. And it's in that time we are called as brothers and sisters to restore each other. We are called to get that dislocated bone and place it right. We are called to come into that other person's life 
speak to them in that way and then confront them so that they can see their sin and they can fix it. Now, when a doctor comes in and puts that dislocated bone back in its place, is that ever going to be, is that a super easy thing to do? Is that a painless experience? Of course not. Of course not. The beginning part, it's going to be so absolutely painful. But you're not looking at the immediate result. You're looking at what's going to happen in the future. So church, that's important for you to know as well. How should we confront others? It is to restore each other. When you confront another brother or sister, is the way that you're speaking to them, the sharpness and the tone of your voice, the time and the location of when you speak to them, is all of that, all of that with the intention of that one thing to restore them. I think for so many of us, for too many of us, we come in with the mindset of, look, they're doing something wrong. I'm going to need to just try to put them right. I'm going to try to just try to fix this place in their life. But before you do that, I want you to always keep this in mind. Because Paul's word is so important. What is your ultimate purpose in speaking to them? What is your ultimate purpose in going to them? Is it going to be to restore it back to its rightful place? Is it to really speak to them in gentleness in order to heal them? In church, I know that this is difficult. But we are called to love each other and to care for one another in gentleness. And Paul says here in verse 2 that in this way we will bear one another's burdens. You know, taking someone's burdens is never going to be an easy thing. And I know for some of us we may think that, man, to have that person constantly call us at night, to have that to have that person who's always so needy, to have us always giving, to have us always serving, that takes us so much out of me and that's not something that I want to do anymore. But church, do you realize that this very phrase, bearing one another burden, means that we are called to sacrifice and give of ourselves. That when you are not giving of yourself, that when nothing is taking to sacrifice of, then you're not actually bearing each other's burdens. And I know that there are days, weeks, seasons even, when we want to give up. That there are people in our lives that we are close to that we have been praying over and talking to for so long. That they would just come to know the Lord. And yet, for years and years, that they just, just aren't there. And I know that for some of us, we have been giving and giving and giving. And it just seems like that person who have, we have been giving to is just taking and taking and taking and never thanking us. And it can be to a point for us, we can say it's meaningless or it's, or it's pointless. But it's during those times, church, that I want to just encourage you. Because in Psalm 34, 18... It says this, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and that he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I know that for many of us, 
we have been going through life and we have a lot of walls in our hearts. And so there, there have been people who we have known for years who may not even know half the pain that we are going through, who don't understand half of what we have been, what, half of what we have experienced. But I want to encourage you, church, that the Lord knows that he is standing with you, that he is for you, that he is right alongside of you. That if you are brokenhearted, he is here to take care of you. That if you are crushed in spirit, that he will hold you gently in the palm of his hands and that he will carry you. You see, the Bible, it says that Jesus was pierced for our sins. That he was crushed for our evil. And the punishment that brought us peace was put upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, for Jesus, what he did is he carried the ultimate burden for us. And when, as we go forward and as we deal with all these different people in our lives, and as we deal with even our own sin and trying to fix that and trying to go through that, man, I want you to take hope. Take hope knowing that the greatest burden that you would ever have to have faced is completely gone. You see, the burden of your own salvation. Because Jesus Christ on the cross to Calvary, he took that upon himself. He put that burden upon him. And so for you, all you have to do is simply believe in him and know that he is going to take care of the rest. He is the ultimate sacrifice for you, church. And so whatever other habits, whatever other sins that people are going through, whatever things that you are going through, church, know and believe and trust that Jesus Christ has already defeated death. He has already defeated the cross. He has already raised from the dead. And he is for you. He is with you. He has already given you salvation when you believe in him. It's not now for us as brothers and sisters, as we care for one another. Man, have encouragement, have hope, and know this moving forward. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's pray.